0: Preface of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Preface They call us the Heavenly Twins. What? Signs of the zodiac? said the tenor no signs of the times said the boy the time is racked with birth pangs every hour brings forth some gasping truth and truth new-born looks a misshapen and untimely growth the terror of the household and its shame a monster coiling in its nurse's lap that some would strangle some would starve but still it breathes and passed from hand to hand and suckled at a hundred half-clad breasts comes slowly to its stature and its form calms the rough ridges of its dragon scales changes to shining locks its snaky hair and moves transfigured into angel guise welcomed by all that cursed its hour of birth and folded in the same encircling arms that cast it like a serpent from their hold oliver wendell holmes proem mendelssohn's elijah he watching over israel slumbers not nor sleeps from the high cathedral tower the solemn assurance floated forth to be a warning or a promise according to the mental state of those whose ears it filled and the mind familiar with the phrase continued it involuntarily carrying the running accompaniment as well as the words and the melody on to the end after the last reverberation of the last stroke of every hour had died away and just when expectation had been succeeded by the sense of silence they rang it out by day and night the bells and the four winds of heaven by day and night spread it abroad over the great wicked city and over the fair flat country by many a tiny township and peaceful farmstead and scattered hamlet on on it was said to the sea to the sea which was twenty miles away but there were many who doubted this though good men and true who knew the music well declared they had heard it every note distinct on summer evenings when they sat alone on the beach and the waves were still and it sounded then they said like the voice of a tenor who sings to himself softly in murmurous monotones and some thought this must be true because those who said it knew the music well but others maintained that it could not be true just for that very reason while others again although they confess that they knew nothing of the distance sound may travel under special circumstances ventured nevertheless to assert that the chime the people heard on those occasions was ringing in their own hearts and indeed it would have been strange if those in whose mother's ears it had rung before they were born who knew it for one of their first sensations and felt it to be like a blood relation a part of themselves though having a separate existence had not carried the memory of it with them wherever they went ready to respond at any moment like sensitive chords vibrating to a touch but everything in the world that is worth a thought becomes food for controversy sooner or later and the chime was no exception to the rule differences of opinion regarding it had always been numerous and extreme and it was amusing to listen to the wordy warfare which was continually being waged upon the subject there were people living immediately beneath it who wished it far enough They said but they used to boast about it nevertheless when they went to other places just as they did about their troublesome children whom they declared in like manner that they expected to be the death of them when they and their worrying ways were within range of criticism it was a flagrant instance of the narrowness of small humanity which judges people and things not on their own merits but with regard to their effect upon itself a circumstance being praised to-day because importance is to be derived from its importance and blamed to-morrow because a bilious attack makes thought on any subject irritating other people liked the idea of the chime but were not content with its arrangement if it had been set in another way you know it would have been so different they asserted with as much emphasis as if there were wisdom in the words and some said it would have been more effective if it had not rung so regularly and some maintained that it owed its power to that same regularity which suggested something permanent in this weary world of change among the minor details of the discussion there was one point in particular which exercised the more active minds but did not seem likely ever to be settled it was as to whether the expression given to the announcement by the bells did not vary at different hours of the day and night or at different seasons of the year at all events and opinion differed as widely upon this point as we are told they did on one occasion in some other place with regard to the question whether a fish weighed heavier when it was dead than when it was alive a question that would certainly never have been settled either had it not happened after a long time and much discussion that someone accidentally weighed a fish when it was found there was no difference the question of expression however could not be decided in that way expression being imponderable and it was pretty generally acknowledged that the truth could not be ascertained and must therefore remain a matter of opinion but that did not stop the talk once indeed some one declared positively that the state of a man's feelings at the moment would influence his perceptions and make the chime sound glad when he was glad and mournful when he was melancholy but nobody liked the solution let them wrangle as they might however the citizens were proud of their chime and for a really good reason it meant something it was not a mere jingle of bells as most chimes are but a phrase with a distinct idea in it which they understood as we understand a foreign language when we can read it without translating it it might have puzzled them to put the phrase into other words but they had it off pat enough as it stood and they held it sacred which is why they quarrelled about it it being usual for men to quarrel about what they hold sacred as if the thing could only be maintained by hot insistence the things they hold sacred that is although they cannot be sure of them like the forms of a religion which admit of controversy as distinguished from the god they desire to worship about whom they have no doubt and therefore never dispute in this latter respect however the case of the people of morningquest was just the reverse of that which obtains in most other places for in consequence of the hourly insistence of the chime their most impressive monitor they talked much more of him whom they should worship than of various ways to worship him and the most persistent of all the questions which occupied their attention arose out of the involuntary but continuous effort of one generation after another to define with scientific accuracy and to everybody's satisfaction his exact nature and attributes in consequence of which efforts there had come to be several most distinct but quite contradictory ideas upon the subject there were some simple-minded folk to whom the chime typified a god essentially masculine and like a man hugely exaggerated but somewhat amorphous because they could not see exactly in what the exaggeration consisted except in the size of him they pictured him sitting alone on a throne of ivory and gold inlaid with precious stones and recited the catalogue of those mentioned in the book of the revelation by preference as imparting a fine scriptural flavour to the dea and he sat upon the throne day and night looking down upon the earth and never did anything else nor felt it monotonous Buddha himself and nirvana could not have attained to a greater perfection of contemplation than that with which they credited this curious divinity who served solely for a finish to their mental range as the sky was to their visual a useful point at which to aim their rudimentary faculty of reverence but others again of a different order of intelligence had passed beyond this stage and saw in him more of a creature moving about in worlds not realized very like jove but unmarried he was both beneficent and jealous and had to be propitiated by regular attendance at church but further than that he was not exacting and therefore they ventured to take his name in vain when they were angry and also to call upon him for help with many apologies when there was nobody else to whom they could apply although so long as the current of their lives ran smoothly on they seldom troubled their heads about him at all there were deeper natures than those however who were not content with this small advance and these last had by degrees as suited their convenience but without perceiving it gradually discovered in him every attribute good bad or indifferent which they found in themselves thus ascribing to him a nature of a highly complex and most extraordinarily inconsistent kind less that of a god than of a demon to them he was still a great shape like a man but a shape to be loved as well as feared a god of peace who patronized war a gentle lamb who looked on at carnage complacently a just god who condemned the innocent to suffer an omnipotent god who was powerless to make his law supreme and they reserved to themselves the right of constantly adding to or slightly altering this picture but having completed it so far they were thoroughly well satisfied with it and incongruous as it was they managed to make it the most popular of all the presentments partly because being so flexible it could be adjusted to every state of mind but also because there was money in it numbers of people lived by it and made name and fame besides and these kept it going by damaging anybody who ventured to question its beauty for there is no faith that a man upholds so forcibly as the one by which he earns his livelihood whether it be faith in the fetish he has helped to make or in a particular kind of leather that sells quickest because it wears out so fast in these latter days however it began to appear as if the supremacy of the great masculine idea was at last being seriously threatened for even in morning quest a new voice of extraordinary sweetness had already been heard not his the voice of man but theirs the collective voice of humanity which declared that he watching was the all-pervading good the great moral law the spirit of pure love elohim mistranslated in the book of genesis as he only but signifying the union to which all nature testifies the male and female principles which together created the universe the infinite father and mother without whom in perfect accord and exact equality the best government of nations has always been crippled and abortive. those who heard this final voice were they who loved the chime most truly and reverenced it but they did not speak about it much only when the message sounded they listened with that full-hearted pleasure which is the best praise and thanks mendelssohn must have felt it when the melody first occurred to him and the words had wedded themselves to the music in his soul and the chime certainly had power to move the hearts of many but it would be hard to say when it had most power or upon whom doubtless the majority of those who had ears to hear in the big old-fashioned city heard not use having dulled their faculties or if perchance the music reached them it conveyed no idea to their minds and passed unheeded it was but an accustomed measure one more added to the myriad other sounds that make up the buzz of life and help like each separate note of accord to complete the varied murmur which is the voice of a whole city full but of course there were times when it was specially apt to strike home in the early morning for instance when the mind was fresh and hope was strong enough to interpret the assurance into a promise of joy and again at noon when fatigue was growing and the mind perceived a sympathetic melancholy in the tones which was altogether restful but it was at midnight it had most power it seemed to rise then to the last pitch of enthusiasm sounding triumphant like the special effort that finishes a strain as if to speed the departing interval of time but when it rang again after the first hour of the new day its voice had dropped as it were to that tone of indifference which expresses the accustomed doing of some monotonous duty which has become too much of a habit to excite either pleasure or pain to the tired watcher then for whom the notes were mere tones conveying no idea the soft melancholy cadence dull by distance was like the half-stifled echo of her own last stifled sigh it is likely however that the chime failed less of its effect outside the city than it did within but there again it depended upon the hearer when the mellow tones floated above the heath, where the gipsies camped only one perchance might listen lifting her bright eyes with pleasure and longing in them dumbly as a child might yet showing for a moment some glimmering promise of a soul but to many in the village close at hand the chime brought comfort it seemed to assure the sick counting the slow hours that they were not forsaken and helped them to bear their pain with patience it seemed to utter to the way-worn a word which told them their trouble was not in vain it seemed to invite all those who waited and were anxious to trust their care to him and seek repose it was all this and much more to many people and yet when it spread in another direction over the fields it meant nothing to the yawning ploughman either musical or poetical had no significance whatever for him if it were not of the time of day gathered however with the help of sundry other sensations of which hunger and fatigue were chief it probably conveyed as much and neither more nor less to the team he drove but perhaps of all the affairs of life with which the chime had mingled the most remarkable could they be collected and recorded would be the occasions on which the hearing of the message had marked a turning-point in the career of some one person as happened once on a summer afternoon when it was heard by a lancashire collier a young lad with an unkempt mop of golden hair delicate features and limbs which were too refined for his calling who was coming up the river morn on a barge the river winds for a time through a fertile undulating bit of country and nothing of the city can be seen until you are almost in it except the castle of the duke of morningquest high perched on a hill on the farther side and the spire of the cathedral which might not attract your attention however if it were not pointed out to you above the trees when the chime floated over this sparsely peopled tract filling the air with music but coming from no one could tell whence there was something mysterious in the sound of it to an imaginative listener in so apparently remote a place and once twice as the long hours passed the young collier heard it ring and wondered he had nothing to do but listen and watch the man on the bank who led the horse that was towing the barge or address a rare remark to his solitary companion an old sailor dressed in a sou'wester blue jersey and the invariable drab trousers tar besplint, and long boots of his calling who steered automatically facing the meadows in beautiful abstraction he would have faced an atlantic gale however with that same look when the chime rang out for the third time the young collier spoke it's the varse of a song maybe he suggested ay lad was the laconic rejoinder the barge moved on past a little farmhouse close to the water's edge past some lazy cattle standing in a field flicking off flies with their tails past a patient fisherman who had not caught a thing that day and scarcely expected to but still fished on the sun sparkled down on the water the weary man and horse plodded along the bank far away a sweet bird sang and the collier spoke again dost thou know the varse he said the old man had been brought up in those parts he knew it well and slowly repeated it to the lad who listened without a sign sitting with his dreamy eyes fixed on the water he watching over israel slumbers not nor sleeps there was another long silence and then the lad spoke once more with apathetic gravity asking who's he the old man kept his eyes fixed on a distant reach of the river and moved no muscle of his face i guess it's christ he said at last ah niver eard tell on him the collier answered slowly hast niver eard tell on christ the old man asked in measured machine-like tones i thought every one knowed on him why what religion are you well me father's a liberal leastways him in as brought me up was the passionless rejoinder slowly spoken but i don't know no one of the name o christ and what's more i sure ye don't work down our way with which he sauntered forward with his hands in his trouser pockets and sat in the bow and the old man steered on as before how like a mind is to a river both may be pure and transparent and lovable and strong to support and admirable each may mirror the beauties of earth and sky and still have a wonderful beauty of its own to delight us both are always moving onward bound irresistibly to be absorbed in a great ocean mystery to be swept away irreclaimably without hope of return but leaving memories of themselves in good or evil wrought by them and both are pure at the outset but can be contaminated when they in turn contaminate, and being perverted in their use become accursed and curse again with all the more effect because the province of each was to bless the collier lad in the bow of the barge felt something of the fascination of the river that day he saw it sparkle in the sunshine he heard it ripple along its banks he felt the slow and dreamy motion of the boat it bore and his mind was filled with unaccustomed thought and a strange yearning which he did not understand there was something singularly attractive about the lad although his clothes were tattered his golden hair and delicate skin were begrimed his great bright eyes had no intelligent expression in them and there was that discontented undisciplined look about his mouth which is common to uneducated men he had no human knowledge but he had capacity and he had music the divine gift in his soul and the voice of an angel to utter it what passed through his dim consciousness in the interval which followed his last remark no one will ever know but the chime had once more sounded and suddenly as he sat there he took up the strain and sang it and the laborers in the fields and the loiterers by the river and the ladies in their gardens even the very cattle in the meadows looked up and listened wondering while he varied the simple melody as singers can finding new meaning in the message and filling the summer silence with perfect raptures of ecstatic sound it was a voice to gladden the hearts of men and one who heard it knew this and followed the barge and took the lad and had him taught so that in after days the world was ready to fall at his feet and worshipped the gift and so time passed change followed change but the chime was immutable and always whatever came it rang out calmly over the beautiful old city of morningquest and entered into it and was part of the life of it mixing itself impartially with the good and evil with all the sin and suffering the pitiful pettiness the indifference the cruelty and every form of misery begetting vice as much as with the purity above reproach the charity the self-sacrifice the unswerving truth the patient endurance and courage not to be daunted which are in every city mixing itself with these as the light and air of heaven do and with effects doubtless as unexpected and as fine and ready also to be a help to the helpless a guide to the rash and straying a comfort to the comfortless a reproach to the reckless and a warning to the wicked perhaps an ambitious stranger passing through the city would hear the chime and pause to listen and in the pause a flash of recollection would show him the weary way he had gone the disappointments which were the inevitable accompaniments of even his most brilliant successes in the years of toil that had been his since he made the world his idol and swerved from the higher life. and then he would ask himself the good of it all and finding that there was no good he would go his way cherishing the new impression and asking of all things is it too late now and perhaps at the same moment a lady rolling past in her carriage would say how sweet or the beauty of the bells might win some other thoughtless tribute from her if she heard the chime at all but probably she never heard it because the accustomed tones were as familiar as the striking of the hour the striking of an hour that bore no special significance for her and therefore set no chord vibrating in her soul the thoughts of her mind deafened her heart to it as completely as the thunder of a wagon had at the same time deafened the wagoner's ears while the bells uttered their message above him and so it was with the doctor overworked and anxious hurrying on his rounds the grasping lawyer absorbed in calculation and all the other money grubbers the indolent woman the pleasure-seeker and the hard-pressed toiler for daily bread if they heard they heeded not because their hour had not yet come at least this is what some thought who believed that for every one a special hour would come when they would be called and then left to decide as it were between life and death and life if they accepted life the next message would be fraught with strength and help and blessing but if they rejected it the bells would utter their condemnation and leave them to their fate end of preface